We're delighted that Tiger Sullivan will now host Q&A with Director Donald Ford. Thank you very much. Thanks, Kevin. Um, so, <laughs> um, I've seen the film a few times now, um, and yeah, it kind of gets better and better. Um, so, um, we're going to have a bit of time for uh, audience questions, so I'll try and rattle through my questions and try and get to that. So, if you want to be thinking of anything uh, interesting to ask, by all means, think about that now. Um, but I just wanted to go back to the start. It's kind of it's something that filmmakers always get asked in Q and A's, which is where did you get the idea for the film? Um, but in fairness, when you say that you've been working towards a film since you were eleven, you kind of I have to ask. Um, so can you talk about that, the kind of genesis of the film and how it emerged? Um, well, I didn't really have the idea when I was eleven, but there's. Um, since I started making films, I always shot just little random snippets of things, as well as like, you know, I would make kind of short films with my friends, but then I would also just film myself around the house or all these other things for no particular purpose. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like those, there's those elements in there that I've never used in anything before, and it's like they were waiting for the right uh, project to be a part of. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, the kind of concrete idea for the film came after my father died and I got to sort through his apartment in Paris mm -hmm. and discover this archive of material um, just in cupboards and closets around his, mm -hmm. around his apartment. And I also filmed some footage there that's in the film. Mm -hmm. Again, not knowing what the purpose would be, but feeling that it may lead to something. And then over the years, the idea just started to come together and I kind of figured out a sort of plan of attack of how I could use his archive and mix it with my own and the sort of general questions that I was interested in exploring with the material. It's, um, I think part of the reason that I'm drawn to the film is that there are an awful lot of good, there are an awful lot of documentaries now, very good films, but which as a filmmaker you can kind of tell that the film that they made is the film that they pitched, is the film that they got funded and it didn't really change over the course of the making of it. And that's to do with financing and, and that kind of thing. Um, can you talk about like the timeline of making the film from that time when it began to crystallize as an idea and how it grew and changed and shifted to what we see now? Mm -hmm. um, so it was probably, it was about four years ago that I wrote a first kind of outline for it and um, it, it, that was that was very rough. I feel like there was a there was some kind of general contrast between m me and him that I was that I knew from that point that things sort of like he's like this and I'm like that, mm. and kind of playing off some of those contrasts. Um, and I had a few. One of the only image like images or edits that I had in mind was linking his footage of the IRA with the films that I shot as a kid with that, that masked um, footage. And then, um, but I also had the idea of three sections, three thematic sections, and the sort of what they actually were changed completely. But mm -hmm. when I applied to the Arts Council, that's what I, that's what I had. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was more like a general approach. And then in terms of 
you know, scene by scene what happened and what the narration was like. That was totally just discovered in the, in the editing, in the kind of two years of um, going through all the archive and cutting everything. And then it went through, I think it went through like 20 different drafts yeah. that were quite different. Yeah, okay. I mean, like, I edit other people's films as well as making my own films. And when I make my own films, I don't have, I edit myself, so I don't have somebody to bounce things off. And it seems to me like, this film has somebody to bounce things off, but he's not there. Mm -hmm. Like, would that be fair? Like, did that, I, I don't think it's necessarily a, a false conceit that this is a film between the two of you. I mean, it's a very real thing, and it makes it very real. Um, his, his presence is there in the film. Um, was that something that you were conscious of? Like, was he the kind of, I don't mean this in a weird way, but like, was he kind of present in your mind as you went through the film? Yeah, I think that was part of what, that was part of the motivation that interested me was creating a kind of dialogue with his work mm. and sort of incorporating his style into my own style and sort of and transforming myself in mm. the process so that by using his material I would make a kind of film that I couldn't have made by myself yeah. um, so that that would kind of and also just the form of this film that I felt like the form that it demanded was something that I didn't know how to do and I hadn't done before. Mm. Um, so it really kind of pushed me to the limit of what I thought I could do. So, um, and then, yeah, I mean, it does create a strange kind of ghostly conversation when you're just going through someone's, mm. you know, material and at times it can feel a little morbid, but it's also like, you know, I'd find myself watching footage and just being like, just pan a little left, like just go over there, because if you did that, this shot would be great, but right now, yeah. Um, so you find yourself kind of yeah, yeah. shouting at the telly like that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. but that's the nature of collaboration, you know, mm -hmm. and that's, it sounds to me like this, the growth of your own work in response to the input of a collaborating partner, mm -hmm. like that's full-on collaboration in, in real terms. And so do you think your filmmaking then has changed in general, or was this a specific kind of, because your career is going, you know, it's not like you weren't making films before this film. Mm -hmm. um, so w do you go back to kind of the status quo ante and go back to the way you were, or has this kind of transformed your approach to filmmaking now, do you think? I think it's definitely it, it opened up new possibilities, mm -hmm. and I feel like there's a broader range of things that I could do. Um, I really miss working with actors and just working with like people who are alive, who are, I could you know hang out with, because um, this was you know for the most part it was me alone in my bedroom editing for like two years. Yeah. Um, and uh, so yeah, I miss that kind of uh, collaboration. So that's what I would want to move on to next. But I think there's also there are certain commonalities. Like I feel like I don't distinguish that much between. Uh, a film like this and the fiction stuff I did before in that mm. like in the like in the fiction feature I did before in my shorts I was always interested in kind of elements that were outside my control mm. like working with improvisation or mm. just kind of you know seeing what happens on the day um, and that's that's possible in a different way with archival because it's just like this is the material you're given you yeah. know and that's <coughs> outside of your control and then it's like what what can you do to work with yeah. that so there's a weird parallel there so you wouldn't necessarily go back to this archive and make more work from it um i don't think so i mean it's you know it's here in the irish film archive mm -hmm. so um someone else could you know do something with there's like a lot of other 
material that I didn't touch on. That was one thing that changed from my original idea is I was because he made several films about the Basque conflict as well. Yeah. And my original idea I was gonna do both and I was gonna go to the Basque region and I was gonna use that whole archive and yeah. and then I realized that was insane. A bit ambitious. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I just focused. Because you had the support of the Arts Council, you didn't have an enormous budget either. Like this is something that you know, you you could you could do what you could do, mm -hmm. um, which is a and there's a great freedom to that in many ways as well, um, rather than having like the responsibility of an enormous um, sort of investment or or budget. Sometimes yeah. that can be um, a bit of a limitation. Um, speaking of collaboration as well, I should mention because there's a few people here mm -hmm. who were involved in the film um, or who were in it. Um, I think Michael Buckley is here. Who did the who was one of the composers, is he? Or he didn't make it? No? Okay. Because um, that was in the like, last stages of the, um, the last few months of the project. I worked with a sound designer, Andrew mm. Kerwin, and with three composers who did a lot of the music in the film, including the great jazz musician, Michael Buckley. I was going to ask you, I have a note to ask you about that, because I think like, the music is brilliant and in fact there was, there was an award <coughs> for the music in the film was there or was that something I it won an award in um, in Paris yeah that was yeah. in Paris yeah in Vision Cinema de Real Cinema de Real yeah um, which is a big deal for those who might have heard of Cinema de Real um, and but did you always think that jazz would work in this film it's an unusual choice you know there are often like people tend to go for subtler underscores for for atmospheric films but this is quite an explicit kind of tone setting thing. Is mm -hmm. that you, you wanted to do that? Um, yeah, from, from early on in the editing, I was just playing around with, I was listening to things on YouTube and just grabbing things that I was listening to and I got obsessed with this YouTube channel of Soviet jazz and electronica from oh, the I 70s. Oh, I know the one, yeah. And <laughs> um, so I would just take tracks from that as I was editing and throw them in and there's okay. two or three uh, tracks that I found on that channel that I was able to use in the film. Okay, yeah. um, but then the rest of the music, um, I, I showed that as a reference point to the composers. Yeah. And I got, from early on, I wanted something that would feel a bit incongruous, that it wasn't really from this world, mm. um, that would put you at a certain remove from it, and that just would have a kind of ghostly, almost sci-fi feel. Yeah. Um, so the mixture of electronic and jazz. Um, it certainly does that, and it's funny because you know, in, we'll come to the fact that you've shown the film around the world since last we met in in the Dublin Film Festival. Um, but to an Irish audience, a lot of these images are quite familiar. You know, uh, whether specifically these images or ones quite like them, and yet you seem to have. This is more a comment than a question. Um, you're not allowed to that. Um, <laughs> the that. You seem to have been in given them a kind of another worldly quality. Were, were you? Did you feel that was something you needed to work towards using music, using montage, and that kind of thing? Yeah. Well, that was one of the reasons as well. I tried to use his unedited footage as much as possible, mm. rather than taking from his finished films, so that I could make my own interpretation of them and kind of put another spin on it. And part of that was wanting to just, just kind of, what's the word like? As strange things or make what might be familiar feel strange and new in a way that like it's um, it might you might be used to seeing like you know quick kind of cutaway shots of the IRA and stuff mm -hmm. but when you watch it for a few minutes and you start to look at the kind of theatricality and the, yeah. the kind of 
posing and the you know ridiculousness of it mm. of some of it it's like just sitting with things can give you another perspective on it so absolutely yeah it. I mean it's when you're editing sometimes if you leave a shot run it's interesting then it gets boring and then it gets interesting again <laughs> if you stick with it for a while and and then also in the editing just like making associations with things that might yeah. seem like a bit of a leap at first yeah but might get you to think about it differently there's a series of three shots at the start and I just have to say this because as an editor um, this really jumped out at me as brilliant like there's three long takes and you use the black, like it's moving into a room and then it goes to black and then we have Margaret Thatcher. You know, it's that series. And mm -hmm. I just thought, again, this is just praise, um, it, it's just that willingness to allow the material to breathe. Because I think the impulse sometimes is to take ownership of the material by chopping it up. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just allowing it to do its own thing is, is far more interesting sometimes. Mm -hmm. And finding these visual or, so, or thematic connections between the shots. Um, can really work. Um, like I say, that's just a comment. Um, you were in Belfast last night. Yeah. How did that go? Uh, pretty well, I think. Yeah. There was a few people who uh, knew my father okay. who were there, so they gave questions that were definitely more comments than questions. <laughs> they were just like talking about, you know, knowing him, and um, they thought the film like captured him him well. Okay. Um, which was interesting. Um, no one asked about the politics. Really? Or asked any like I was expecting some kind of challenging, yeah. probing questions about that, and it was just no one asked, so I was surprised by that. And do you think that's a lack of an appetite to to go over that material, or I don't know. I mean, it felt like people responded to the film, mm. so I don't know if it's like you're just too polite to ask or what. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. But well, that's an interesting thing. Like, do you see it as a film about a man or about? You know, you could look at it as a, as a political film. You know, and I know you went to, say, Buenos Aires and played the film there. Isn't that right? Mm -hmm. um, like, when you take it outside of its context entirely, does it play like a film about a person or a, a relationship, more to the point, or a situation and the relationship within that? I think because there's, the, there's these layers of the kind of the personal story, the political story, mm. also the kind of filmmaking story, the kind of reflection on that, mm. it tends to go like in one direction or the other. And I, I don't know if it's, it hasn't seemed like that specific mm. to like, oh, this country just cares about the politics or whatnot. But yeah. I get, you know, people gravitate toward, more towards one aspect. But for me, it was always, it was like the synthesis of those three mm. that uh, I found really just kind of exciting to work mm. with. So it's, it's like all three at once for me. And I suppose, like earlier on I did feel a bit that the um that in a way like using my father was a bit of a pretext to um to deal with all this other stuff that I was interested in mm. and it was it was it was a great opportunity for that mm. um so uh so he yeah he kind of you know he was like a great vehicle to deal with all these other other questions I was interested in as well but did it work out like that or did you find yourself being drawn into far more personal ideas. I found myself being drawn more into the yeah, because that I think that was something I wrestled with myself as I was editing. Like early on, I didn't even I didn't want to do the voiceover myself, mm. and I didn't want it to be my voice. I was gonna have it in the third person, like mm. someone else telling the story. And I guess I was very wary of it seeming like just a kind of po-faced, like confessional 
kind of, oh, poor me kind of thing. So I was veering really in the other direction. Mm. Um, and then uh, gradually along the way, I sort of accepted. It's like I'm kind of bending over backwards, not just to kind of speak in my own voice. Yeah. Um, so I just embraced that. <coughs> in the end. Which in an interesting way, like your father's filmmaking approach is the former. You know, keeping himself out, mm -hmm. uh, having belief in some ideas of objectivity. Filmmaking is just putting people in front of a camera and confronting them with their own experiences. Um, you know, and and in many ways, it sounds like you went that direction yourself for a while, but then realized that that's actually quite a hollow. It's it's a, it's a bit of a myth, really, is it? Yeah, I mean, I think it was. I think the way I was thinking about it, it was like, I still wanted to say, tell the same story that mixed these personal elements, mm. but I was just like, does it really matter that it's me? Mm. Can't it just be some father and son? You know, I was mm. having these kind of um, inner, inner monologues about it. Mm. Okay. Um, I might open it up to questions and see how we go. Um, I, um, I just need to mention who else is here from oh, yeah. in the film. Uh, my friend, it's my childhood friend Danny, who has the great moment of hugging the camera, <laughs> is sitting is sitting right there. Um, Remarkably recognisable. <laughs> hasn't changed at all. No. Um, and uh, there is Fiona and Roisin, who are um, my mum's cousins, who are in the film as children in the Super 8 footage from, oh, yeah. the, from the 60s. Um, and I'm not sure who else. Well, I've got, I'm getting it. I'm getting to that. But yeah, last but not least, my mother is uh, sitting there at the back. Who is, really deserves credit as a and producer. deserves a round of applause. <laughs> Pat Murphy, yeah, well hopefully we'll, we'll talk about yeah, we can that connection yeah. as well. Yeah, um, uh, Pat Murphy, the great filmmaker, ma uh, made a film in the 80s called Maeve, which I used some, some um, clips of in this, and um, she was kind enough to come this evening, and her film was a real inspiration to me. And also, interestingly, um, she told me, partly inspired by seeing my father's film, The Patriot Game, and having a lot of problems with it. Um, <laughs> kind of reacting against it. Um, so, yeah. Wow. Um, so, questions? We have no roving microphone, so um, if you, you if we can. I'm Tara. It's <laughs> I just wondered was it a very emotional trip for you? Um, or were you kind of stood back from the emotion of your dad? I think I was, I mean, it's one of the things about filmmaking that it's like, it, it brings you closer to stuff in that I was able to, like, I wouldn't have delved into this stuff in the same way if I didn't make the film. So I was getting kind of closer to the emotions. But then also, it always creates a distance where the, you're putting a camera between you and the mm. thing. Or, you know, if you edit something for two years, you start to th you kind of forget, like, who the people are. And the, mo the most difficult moments, for sure, were just were just filmmaking moments of like, I don't know how to structure this, how do I cut from this shot? Like that's when I was g going mad and thinking I couldn't go on. So um, so yeah, I suppose it, it, 
I mean, I think there was a lot of kind of issues with my father that I sorted out before I made the film, so it didn't feel like a raw wound in that way. No. no, we've no microphone. Oh, no, Sorry. I just, I've been reading a lot of eye interviews. Uh, you had an interview with a person called Leo from the Bro Brooklyn Rail. Brooklyn Rail. And yeah. he's asking you about the chrono chrono chronology. chronology. Like in the case, because obviously you start with the 1916 and you go to the first How do you decide? Because I, you need to pay attention of, I mean, perhaps some people watch the film and they. I'm not very familiar with what's happening in Northern Ireland. I mean, that yeah, yeah. I suppose as an outsider. And my second question is about the Basque Country, because I'm from the Basque Country myself. Uh, we, maybe as an ex-project, maybe will you visit or you will consider to do something about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'd love to go there. I didn't get into the San Sebastian <laughs> Film Festival, so that put a hazard <laughs> to my plans. Oh, that's where um, I'm from. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, in terms of the, the chronology and stuff, well, that was uh, that was another um, big struggle and challenge, as well as you know. I think those are the two main things. Was one was like, you know, how do I position myself or my voice in the film, and then the other thing was how much context do I need to give and how much information. And again, initially, I, I because this is more my natural tendency, like in my other films, was like, I'm not going to explain anything. You know, you can look it up on Wikipedia. I'll just, I'm just going to show you the images. And then um, after a while, I started to feel like that would, that was like a little irresponsible just to kind of throw it, because if you don't have the context, it becomes maybe just a purely aesthetic thing. Um, so I just tried to get a balance where I was like, and another thing that helped was I decided to give the, that historical information, I gave it in my father's voice from things that he had written or voiceovers from his, his own films so that you're getting his, you're sort of learning his perspective on it at the same time and it's not an objective perspective. Um, and then the chronology, because, because it's so nonlinear and there's so more, much jumping around, I decided that would be the, just one kind of thread through line was that it's sort of it generally covers like the arc of the 20th century in terms of the history stuff. So you, I'll go off on a tangent about this, and then I'll come back to that history. Hmm. Hey, you can best vlog maybe for next year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this question here. Um, so your father seemingly empathised a lot with the struggle of the people of the north of Ireland and sacrificed a lot to document that and show it to the world. Um, do you think he would have done the same, or? Think. Um, I don't know, yeah, that's an interesting question because I think that was something I was thinking about in, the, in making the contrast between his real uh, his sense of certainty and commitment to the cause and my you know, more ambivalent position. I think part of that is it's easier, it's easier to like look back on something in retrospect and have a lot of kind of questions and like what about this and this but when when there's the urgency of, of like a real a real crisis a real um, a, kind of a real oppressive situation unfolding um, that urgency kind of pushes you more I think to kind of um, just like stake your claim in it um, so I don't know I think I mean someone someone made the point um, at another screening 
because I make the comparison of like a certain sense of possibility then when he was making films that isn't the same now. Someone was arguing, well, there's you know there's struggles going on like the um, the kind of radical socialist uh, revolutionaries in, in Kurdistan and different places who are fighting in Rojava who are like fighting an armed struggle and I'm using similar iconography to to what the IRA used with like people posing with Kalashnikovs and stuff. And, you know, there's those kind of struggles that if, you know, I could travel there and, and make a documentary about, about that, and I wouldn't do that because I feel like I'm such an outsider from that, uh, from that situation. I just, it's just like not who I am. It just wouldn't make sense for me, and I feel like an imposter. I feel like I wanted to see the films that they would make about it rather than um, coming in with my own point of view. I think that was maybe different different for him, partly because he was coming from this Irish background and had a sort of connection to it already because of that. So it wasn't like he had a sense of his roots being there and he was kind of returning to his roots, I think. Can I just ask you, like, do you do you believe in that? Like do you is there a part of you that thinks he was a little bit of a an interloper in terms of you know leaving where leaving his responsibility behind and, and going into that arena. Um, I think it's complex. I think like yes and no. There's an, there is an element of that. I mean, I think it's always interesting. Well, one of my favorite films is this uh, Godard film from the '70s called Here and Elsewhere, yeah. where he went to Palestine mm -hmm. to make a film about the revolutionaries, and then the group he was filming, the whole group was killed in a, in a massacre, and he wanted to make propaganda for them, and it didn't make sense anymore. Um, and so he started to reflect on what he was doing and why he didn't understand the situation properly, and he said that it was easier to think of a revolution there than to think of a revolution where he was. Mm. Um, so I think there, you know, there might be an aspect of that, but it's also like, it's clear that he really became kind of embraced by that community. It was yeah. clear last night in Belfast, you yeah. know, that um, he sort of he sort of proved his his commitment to yeah. that and kept coming back. He like made eight films there yeah. over the years. So I think that's a little different than the real, you know, the person who just parachutes in. Yeah, parachutes in and yeah. out. Oh you build a relationship, I think it's it's entirely valid. Um, further questions? Um, I'll go to the back. Um, uh, and then I'll come to you. Um, yeah. I first want to make a comment. I am more a reader than I am a watcher of films. And your film, to me, was one of the closest things to reading I've come to. It was like a book unfolding, a good book unfolding. And um, it struck me that, and parts anyway, and currently, it was almost like you're going to discover for yourself. And my question is this Were you answering a question that you had posed yourself? Um, because you seem to become your own person at the end, but in the beginning there was this confusion, or, or not confusion, but a kind of mixing of me, my father, my father, and the values were not clear, but at the end you were intended to be yourself. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, that's great, thanks. Um, <laughs> I think. I think it, it came about through through the making of the film, through the editing of the film, 
thought, it, you know, it wasn't like, like, you know, we're talking about the outline before, but it really wasn't, it really it did feel like a process of discovery in that the editing was, was the thinking, was like, you know, I was thinking with the images. So every time I was cutting and making a comparison, I was like, does this work? Does this make sense? Like, you know, what's the relationship between this? And that's what the whole process of it was. And because of that, it was, that's why it was so hard. And there was times where I was like, is this ever, am I ever going to stop editing this? Um, so, but then at last reached the point where I was like, okay, um, it's done. So, yeah, I don't know if that answers exactly, but... Well, I might just comment that um, for me, like, the literary form of the essay is one that's making a bit of a comeback at the moment. And it's making a comeback in cinema as much as it's making a comeback in literature. And it's this, you know, trying out, you know, from the French word to essay, um, just meandering and figuring things out as you go. And I think part of the why people are drawn to it now is that it's the opposite of having a point and cleaving to it and being certain about things and let me tell you, or as the internet would say, you're doing it wrong. Um, and I think that kind of wandering through is, is just, it's very generous and it's very inclusive. And for a viewer, they can kind of go on a journey with you if you're going on a journey yourself rather than just telling, telling facts. Mm -hmm. So I think like the, the literary comparison I think is very germane. Um, it's a question. Okay, well, this is a, a question probably following on from what Tara said about the personal emotions. The part of the film that kind of struck me the most, maybe being a woman, was Maeve's letter. And um, I felt, I was wondering, did you find that letter in her, in the archives, your dad's archives, or did you, did Maeve have a copy of it, or did you put it together from memory? Mm -hmm. It's just, it was very, you know, Maeve, Maeve had a copy, and I know I'd read it before, because because it was you know it was typed up and printed out. It was like a formal. Uh, that was fantastic. Um, but I did also uh, now when I went into his apartment for the first time, there was a little uh, folder on the desk uh, on, or on his coffee table that uh, had Maeve written on it, and it had that letter in it. Um, so it seemed like that was something he'd actually like, you know, revisited or gone back to. Yeah. I thought um, it was a really well written. Yeah. 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 Imagine trying to re read it in a yeah. recording yeah. booth yeah. as well. <laughs> she did a good job with that. Mm. Yeah. No. He kept that letter. That's what's important to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. A couple more on this side. Uh, I'll go to Lady in Blue.
Um, yeah, that, the last question I can't answer. Um, I don't know what the answer to that would be. But uh, it took, um, in terms of how long it took, from when I got the money and was really focusing on it, it was two years. Um, and it was about like five months going th through the archive, watching all the footage, and then the rest was editing. But there was maybe three, four years before that when I was thinking about it a lot and taking, taking notes. Would, I'll come to you just in one second, but would you mind me asking, Don? Um, just that, going back to that, because I think it's the most powerful shot in the film, is the, the portrait that you took of your dad. Um, and did you know, sometimes I think, I know like when you're making films or when you're a filmmaker, you just take stuff because it feels right. Was there any sense of why you were doing that at the time? Or um, I, No, and I think it, it wasn't like, it wasn't a very exceptional thing for me to do that because filmmaking was just, it's just been a part of my life where I would just, you know, grab shots of friends or people mm. I was hanging out with or things I saw on the street. So I, I've often done that. Mm. So it didn't seem like so out of the ordinary. And then I felt, you know, I hadn't seen him in a while. Yeah. Um, so it was just like a way to kind of mark, mark the moment or create mm. some kind of record of it. Um, so yeah, that's how I thought. So it didn't it. seem but it didn't seem that powerful at the t in the moment. No, not in the moment. And then, I mean, I think, yeah, maybe I do have a, just a certain kind of distance about it because I know in an earlier version of the film, I put that in the first, like, 15 or 20 minutes mm. of the film. Mm. And I didn't think about, like, what, how much that was giving away, mm. you know, how much, like, power would be lost by not holding that back until later on. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so that was something... That I th I think it was because I was too familiar with it, and then, mm. you know, although I was working by myself, every month or two I would have a few friends over and show a rough cut. And mm. It was through that kind of process that I would realize, like, oh, I'm kind of I'm missing out on the some some power here. Yeah, because I think once you feel, as a viewer you feel that you you fully understand what the more you understand him, the more the image has power. Mm -hmm. I think. Um, I come back to you. Yeah. Taking up on your, your idea of, of wondering and wondering, yeah. and there's a lot of material in it, there's a lot of different aspects, uh, particularly just seeing that. Uh, but you mentioned earlier two main, I suppose, strengths or aspects is, is the focus on your father relationship, and then through that uh, sort of uh, observation of the conflict and the various elements of the conflict, which is, you know, extremely interesting. But in another way, it's also could be problematic because you're not sure. I, and maybe one aspect of that is that is that he, I think, as was mentioned, he becomes you know, so close to protagonists um, that he's a voice, you could say, propaganda-wise in relation to that, rather than taking a more objective uh, view of it. Um, but in a way, because we're seeing it through a particular perspective. Not sure exactly at times what has been said, what has been conveyed. Mm -hmm. Is it a particular that personal um, sort of insight into the into the conflict, 
or do we get more rounded? Like, is there a comment then indirectly on the conflict and and the various aspects of that? Um, and I just I'm not too sure. You know, that could be from you know, if they've taken a particular objective view of the conflict, then you can see questions in relation to that. Mm -hmm. I'm not too sure. I'm just thinking about this rather than yeah. Um, I mean, I think I was, I was kind of concerned and mindful from the start. First of all, that by by combining this personal and political story, I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to trivialize or undermine the the history of what took place to kind of, or to to make my story seem more important or like on this on a par with with this really grave. Um, history and then but then I also knew I didn't like I wasn't going to try to tell the whole tell that whole history or give a balanced account or try and it was very much just like what do we glean of it from his perspective through what he filmed through what he thought about it and I suppose what I, what I was hoping for is that by juxtaposing that with my own my own overall style and with my uh, my perspective that 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 just raises questions that kind of opens things up so that you don't have to take his word for it or you don't have to see uh, I mean the whole the whole one of the central ideas of the film is like what do you put in the image and what do you leave out and what are you, you know, what are you seeing? What are you not seeing? So hopefully that kind of framing gets you thinking about like there's always uh, things that are missing. Yeah, yeah. I think we have time for one brief question, and I did. I was going to go over here. You refer to your mother's extended family in their filmmaking history, some of them, and you use their footage and refer to your great grandfather. But it's your father's side of the family is totally absent. Is that was that a conscious decision, or were you not able to get any? Do any research on that side of the family, or do they not have anything useful? Um, his, uh, there's, yeah, his side of the family is interesting. Um, there is, I did, like, I've met with some of his family, and I did actually do some interviews for this film, where I met friends, people he worked with, family, and I recorded interviews with them. That was something I was playing around with as an element of it. And there's one sequence where you see the, like, uh, photos of him as he ages um, and you hear some snippets of people talking and that's taken from those interviews that I did and you hear his uh, his sister who lives in New Jersey saying that Artie never took responsibility for anything um, so uh, his yeah he's I mean he's got his family is, is a lot of sort of miserable lonely people basically with, a, with a difficult problems it's like the opposite of uh, the other half of my family. Um, so, uh, and yeah, he has a sister and a brother who were very resentful of him because he was the youngest and he was the golden child. He got everything he wanted. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, there was a lot of other stories that I, that I could have included about him, a lot of anecdotes, interesting things that I heard. But because the focus of the film was always um, going through his images um, I didn't I never wanted to use the images as like 
I'm telling a story and then what can I use to illustrate the images? It's always like the images are the subject. So there was things like that that just wouldn't, it would, it would derail that. It would kind of be another kind of film. So I had to leave them out, alas. Yeah. I mean, I'm not quite convinced that you're not going to go back to this archive in two points. Not all of us are blessed with these kind of vast, amazing archives in our family to, to draw upon. Um, it's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing set. It's, I'd, li it's, I'd like to, I'd like to go back to um, to Sean to Sean's yeah. footage because yeah. there's I, there's seven hours of like really, really beautiful Super 8 from the 60s, and um, yeah, yeah, there's a lot more to be done with. Yeah, with I think. Okay. Yeah. Next. One. <coughs> okay. Not I, the next one though, because I need. Okay. Human yeah. contact. <laughs> yeah, enough with the, some alive people. Um, thanks very much to the IFI, and um, thanks very much to the Irish Film Archive, who did such an amazing job of uh, holding the material. And uh, can we just one quick line on that? Just that the, the Irish Film Archive themselves, there's a circularity here that we here we are presenting the film that. Yeah. You know, yeah, no, they were, they were like just really supportive and great mm -hmm. in terms of taking care of the material and facilitating me like trawling through mm -hmm. it. So yeah, they absolutely. deserve a shout out for that. For they sure. do. Well, we'll incorporate them into our, into our uh, one last round of applause for Donald and for the fun. If you like the film, um, if you could help spread the word, say some things about it on social media, it would really help. It's on here for a week and it's opening in the Triscoll Art Centre in Cork on Sunday. And if it goes well, if a lot of people go, the runs might get extended, it might be here for longer. So, um, so 20 BJs is that <laughs> Thanks a lot.